0: This is Still Rowing, a podcast where members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints share their authentic stories of struggle and triumph on their journey of discipleship and just why they are choosing faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the introductory episode of the Still Rowing podcast. I'm your host, Tara McCausland and I'm so glad you're here. The main purpose of this initial episode is to answer the who, what, and why of this podcast, and to share a few personal insights that keep me rowing. Typically, I will be interviewing a guest, but I figured you'd like to know a bit of my story and the why behind this podcast to start. So, first, who am I? I was born and bred in Utah, I am one of seven kids. I graduated from Utah State University, go Aggies. (laughs) I'm uh, now a wife and a mother of four. I'm also a part-time job coach for people with disabilities, and I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I served a full-time mission in Leeds, England, and I've since served in a variety of callings that have both challenged and blessed me. I currently serve as a primary teacher to a very energetic group of seven and eight-year-olds. But before then, I was serving as a gospel doctrine teacher for a couple of years. Long before that time, I knew I enjoyed teaching the gospel. But what I discovered from that experience was a love for really digging into the doctrine and the history of the church and sharing my newfound insights with others. One of my favorite things we did as a class was have someone share what we called a why I believe testimony, where a brother or sister took the first few minutes of class to relate experiences that anchored them in the restored gospel. And without fail, it brought the spirit into the classroom. And I found that hearing the faith promoting experiences of others strengthened my own conversion. Now that brings me to the what stories are powerful. Personal storytelling can change hearts and minds, and it can help others find clarity in their own story. With that in mind, I will be interviewing regular believing members of the church with various backgrounds and inviting them to share their unfiltered, sometimes pain-laced, but ultimately faith-building stories and why they are choosing to stay in the church. It helps to encourage others to continue to choose faith in the restored Church of Jesus Christ. Uh, A little background on the name and why I titled it Still Roaming. Many of you may be familiar with a talk given by Elder Ballard some years ago in the October 2014 General Conference. It was titled, Stay in the Boat and Hold On. He used the metaphor of a ship to represent the Church and the idea of staying in the boat to represent our commitment to the Gospel. Apparently, Brigham Young was actually the first to employ this metaphor where he spoke of staying aboard the old ship Zion. And more recently, Elder Renland of the Twelve spoke at a CES devotional where he used a similar analogy. So that was the initial inspiration, but the specific idea of still rowing denotes two ideas. And to break it down, uh, each word, first, rowing. We are frequently taught that it takes steady daily effort and commitment to habits such as praying, gospel study, church attendance, serving others, etc. to sustain faith and conversion in the church. Rowing suggests that we must actively work for our conversion, not merely be an inactive passenger just along for the ride. The still part of still rowing suggests that we may experience fatigue and discouragement on the journey. You know, rowing day in and day out can get exhausting, but it's through the steady effort of rowing, even through uncertain and difficult waters, that we will eventually and safely arrive back to our heavenly home. And we will be prepared for that reunion, having become strong and faithful in the process. The why of this podcast could really be summarized in two scriptures. The first is found in 1 Peter 3.15. It says, Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. My testimony of Christ's restored church and gospel really just gives me a tremendous amount of hope. Hope for myself that God loves me in spite of my weaknesses That I'm enough right here and right now and that through the grace of Christ I can become more than I am. It gives me hope for my family that even though there's sadness, chaos in the world, I and they need not fear. Their lives can still be beautiful and full of opportunity and progression. Really hope for all of God's children that God does in fact know and love each of us. Those who have passed on, those who live now those who know and love him and those who don't, and that he has created a plan of happiness that ensures all of his children have an equal opportunity to return to live with him again. The expanse, mercy, and grandeur of God's plan for his children, revealed to the world by the prophet Joseph Smith, by the way, is for me one of the core doctrines that keeps my faith grounded in the church and modern prophets. The second scripture explaining my why is found in Luke 22. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I confess that I'm one of those weirdos that actually likes to get up and bear my testimony in church. So this podcast will be like my veritable crate and street corner, a space where I and others will share our authentic, raw, faith-promoting experiences and why we're still in the boat, why we're still rowing. Beyond that, we really have the unique opportunity and responsibility as members of the Restored Church to minister to and strengthen our brothers and sisters, both active members, those who have left, and also those not of our faith. Our prophet, President Nelson, recently extended a a unique call for us to gather and strengthen Israel. He said, quote, the gathering is the most important thing taking place on earth today. Nothing compares in importance, nothing else compares in majesty, and if you choose to, if you want to, you can be a big part of something big, something grand, something majestic, end of quote. I love that. I really just thought long and hard about how I, a regular member of the church, could better do that. Well, after thinking for a time, a podcast is what I eventually determined was the best method for me. I hope you will take some time to consider Uh, how you, with your unique gifts and talents, might better answer that call as well. But let's shift gears and get personal for a bit. My faith journey doesn't really make for an epic story. However, there are two events I wanted to share that have had an impact on my life and conversion. So first, and possibly one of the most formative experiences of my life up to this point, came as a result of watching my parents as my dad battled sexual addiction. For many years, it was the skeleton in the closet that my family never discussed, but I knew from a young age that there were problems in my parents' marriage. When I was about six, my dad was disfellowshipped, and he was again disfellowshipped when I was about 14, and at that time, I thought it was because of pornography use. It wasn't until years later, when I was in my 20s, that the severity of my dad's addiction became known. And one fall afternoon, my new husband and I had come to have Sunday dinner at my parents' house. And after being there for only minutes, my dad ushered us out to the patio, sat us down, and tearfully announced that some days prior he had been arrested for soliciting a prostitute and had been excommunicated from the church. I immediately started to sob. I was shocked. Confused, I felt a deep sense of betrayal. I remember looking at this man who I loved and admired, a man who had been a fully active, tithe paying, temple recommend, and priesthood holding member, and trying to reconcile what I just heard. Our whole family, especially my mom, had to do some serious soul searching as we tried to navigate some very rough waters. But It was in this mess that I got to witness firsthand what the repentance process looks like, what church discipline can do for a person, what love and support from ecclesiastical leaders does through that repentance process. Ultimately, I saw the great mercy and the love of our Heavenly Father and the cleansing, healing power of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. That was almost 14 years ago, and my dad has since been rebaptized. This story will be told in more detail in a later episode, but I can say that it is only through the grace of God that my parents' marriage is still intact, that my parents are both active members of the church, and they are now helping thousands find hope and healing from pornography and sexual addiction. God is mighty to save, and miracles do still happen. The second experience I'd like to share took place while serving as a full time missionary which as an aside, was so much harder than I could have ever dreamed. It's on par with raising some seriously ornery toddlers, which has taken mammoth proportions of endurance. Moms, I know you get me. However, like motherhood, that arduous experience of serving a mission was was worth it because of the lessons and attributes I gained over that 18-month period. This experience that I had was brief, and I can't point to any reason why it happened, only that it did. And it has given me some perspective when others are struggling with their faith. I had been serving for several months, and I was transferred to a particularly wealthy or posh area, as they'd say in England. And And every missionary knows that prosperous areas are the hardest to find success in. My companion and I would spend most of our days street contacting or knocking doors, and when we did have an appointment, they'd often be no-shows. In addition, we encountered an overwhelming amount of anti-Mormon sentiment and ridicule, which, after a time, just really began wearing on me. And one day, I started feeling this incredible inner turmoil and confusion about my beliefs and about the, the legitimacy of what I was doing. I vividly remember one morning knocking at yet another door and as we waited for a response I asked myself why am I doing this it doesn't matter what I say to this person they aren't going to listen I'm not even sure at this very moment that I believe the message I'm sharing and this spiritual upheaval was completely foreign to me I couldn't remember a time when I didn't believe and suddenly I was questioning the very existence of God I felt alone and confused I cried, I prayed, I talked to my companion, who, interestingly, had once been agnostic, so she was empathetic. Gratefully, this lasted only for a brief period, but the feelings were were very painful and poignant. It was disorienting. I wrote in my journal later, Fortunately, those feelings of doubt and confusion left me, and although I had no angelic ministration, a reassuring peace replaced those feelings of doubt. Now, I've not had an experience like that since. Even in the midst of some of my greatest struggles, I've never felt that kind of despair. But I'm grateful for this experience because I recognize that for some, this is a real and sometimes lengthy part of their faith journey. You or someone you love may currently be experiencing uncertainty, confusion, or having a full-on faith crisis. Um, Maybe you've been betrayed by a loved one or a trusted member of the church. Perhaps you've come across information about church history that's foreign and unsettling. Perhaps you're grappling with a policy or practice of the church that you don't understand. Whatever it might be, be assured that you're not alone. If you have a loved one or friend who is experiencing this, just put your arms around them and love them through it. Reach out to them, include them. Remember, we aren't all fully converted when we're baptized at eight or when we go through the temple. Conversion to the gospel of Jesus Christ really is an individual, lifelong process, and it will look different for every person. This is the lesson I feel like the Spirit keeps trying to teach me, and it's a tough one, but it's just love people right where they are at. Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay, that one's pretty straightforward for me. He also said, By this shall men know ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. There wasn't a caveat there. He didn't say only love people who are trying to keep the commandments or who are members of the church. He said, love all people. And it's so incredibly hard because it's so contrary to what human nature is. We tend to gravitate to people and like people who look like, think like, act like we do. Familiarity is comfortable territory, but God never intended us to be comfortable here in mortality. His, I believe his primary concern is growth and progression. And I also believe it's in those difficult human interactions and relationships where we will most learn how to become holy, ultimately to become like him. So what do we do when a loved one doubts, when a loved one strays? Well, I'm not an expert, but for starters, and I'm speaking as much to myself as anyone else, let's listen to them, really listen to them without feeling the need to fix them. I'm a recovering fixer, still a work in progress. And as we listen, seek first to understand, foster an environment of love and compassion I really believe this will be key to aiding our brothers and sisters whose faith is floundering. We can only help others if we have access to them and if they feel safe with us. And that safety starts with listening without judgment. that's not to say that we must agree with them, adopt beliefs or behaviors contrary to gospel standards, or, you know, go down the rabbit hole and read all the cynical anti-material they may suggest. But we can always offer a listening ear and a hug for those struggling. We can also help by educating ourselves on the hot button issues that others struggle with so that we can help direct them to good resources and help help find answers. Again, this is really hard. We won't do this perfectly. When we fail, we just keep trying. But I've discovered our best example of how to do this is Jesus Christ. As I've been studying his life in Come Follow Me this year, I've I've seen more and more his astounding ability to just love people right where they are at and to lift them up with his love and compassion, all the while demonstrating perfect obedience. So is the pain that you or your loved one may be experiencing, so is the hope and reality of finding answers, healing, and I believe even joy if you'll just trust in the captain of the ship stay in the boat and keep rowing. That said, I wanted to suggest that as we come across hurdles in our faith, asking questions isn't the problem. In fact, asking honest, heartfelt questions is often the impetus for revelation. We see that all the time in scripture, but the source we look to for answers and the questions we pose can either help us find answers or lead us further away from the truth. A great talk titled Stand Forever was given by Elder Lawrence Corbridge of the Seventy at a BYU devotional in January of 2019. And he starts by saying that he'd once been tasked with the responsibility of reading a great deal of material that was antagonistic toward the church. He said, There are some who are afraid the church may not be true and who spend their time and attention slogging through the swamp of the secondary questions. The secondary questions are unending. They include questions about polygamy, people of African descent, and the priesthood, women in the priesthood, how the Book of Mormon was translated, the Pearl of Great Price, DNA and the Book of Mormon, gay marriage, the different accounts of the first vision, and on and on. They mistakenly try to learn the truth by process of elimination, by attempting to eliminate every doubt. That is always a bad idea. It will never work. That approach only works in the game of clue. Ultimately, there has to be affirmative proof. And with the things of God, affirmative proof finally and surely comes by revelation through the spirit and power of the Holy Ghost. He continues, answer the primary questions first. Not all questions are equal and not all truths are equal. The primary questions are the most important. Everything else is subordinate. There are only a few primary questions. I will mention four of them. Is there a God who is our Father? Is Jesus Christ the Son of God, the Savior of the world? Was Joseph Smith a prophet? Is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints the kingdom of God on the earth? He closes by saying that if you answer the primary questions, the secondary questions get answered too, or they pale in significance and you can deal with things you understand and things you don't and the things you agree with and things you don't without jumping ship altogether, end of quote. I've realized over the years that as I try to acquire truth, that I have to be humble enough to accept that I may hold some assumptions about the church, its history, and its doctrine that may be inaccurate, or that I might have incomplete information. Well-meaning people around us, often through no fault of their own, may have said some things to us that are not grounded in pure doctrine, which we in turn believed, or we may have simply misunderstood certain ideas because when we're young, or old for that matter, and when we don't fully comprehend something, we try and fill in the mental gaps with things we do understand, with ideas or concepts familiar to us. There's a a sciency term for this. The, The general term is a cognitive bias. And our brains use these all the time, mainly to save time and energy. I think we've all had some experience with this, whether it relates to the church or not. But here's a benign non-gospel example for my own life to illustrate. It's kind of a silly example, but bear with me. So one of my best friends growing up once told me that I was saying the Pledge of Allegiance wrong. I can't remember how old I was. All I know is that she told me with certainty that it, we were supposed to say one nation under God individual. Because indivisible made no sense. And it didn't make sense to my grade school brain. I didn't know what the word indivisible meant. But I did know what individual meant. Regardless, I wholeheartedly trusted this friend because, you know, she was smart. She was, incidentally, the same person who first explained the birds and the bees to me. So, you know, she knew stuff. (laughs) Anyway, It wasn't until some time later that I realized that the verbiage in the Pledge of Allegiance was, in fact, one nation under God, indivisible. When I took the time to find out for myself what indivisible meant, it made a lot more sense in context. But even now, I still catch myself thinking individual when I say that part of the pledge. I think that's why personal revelation and receiving our own answers to the primary questions is so key. As Elder Bednar said in a previous conference, quote, if all you or I know about Jesus Christ and his restored gospel is what other people teach or tell us, then the foundation of our testimony of him and his glorious latter day work is built upon sand. We cannot rely exclusively upon or borrow gospel light and knowledge from other people, even those whom we love and trust. Now a word about church history. I know a fair amount of people who have their issues with some aspect of it. I've had to do my own digging to try and understand certain points from our past. But when it comes to church history, we really are looking through a glass darkly. And as I heard someone once say, the past is like going to a foreign country. They do things differently there. Many years ago, I spent some months teaching English in a Chinese boarding school China is a beautiful country with rich history and kind-hearted people, but I discovered that whenever I expected things to be like home, and I essentially forced my values on them, I was disappointed and sometimes angry. For instance, using squatters instead of toilets, eating pizza smothered in ketchup instead of tomato sauce, going to a spa slash resort and realizing that all the natives were wearing their birthday suits, not their bathing suits. And some of these things were more shocking than others, but it was naive at best and unfair at worst for me to expect that they should do things the way I did them. When we force our own cultural values on people from past centuries, believing they should speak and behave and believe as we do, it's equally naive and unfair. So let's all do ourselves a favor and remember that when looking at church history, trying to understand context and the current norms of the time will shed enormous light on some things which, without proper context, may seem bizarre or outright immoral. Bottom line, if you're struggling with some aspect of church doctrine or history, consider that perhaps you're trying to fit a 5x7 picture in a 16x20 frame. We often have to broaden our perspective with further study, more prayer, and reframe our paradigms in order to make things fit. I've also realized that if my testimony is going to survive in this day and age, it has to become more malleable, more flexible, more resilient. Not in the sense that I casually pick and choose what I believe to be core doctrine, but in my ability to receive and synthesize new information so I can absorb more light and truth, expel error and falsehoods, and ultimately learn that in some things, I just have to have faith. I really believe that if we will do the work to get answers to the primary questions, that can keep us afloat when there aren't immediate answers to be found. But ultimately, I believe our testimony and our willingness to stay in the boat comes down to nothing more and nothing less than a choice. We believe in agency. We believe we fought a bitter war before we came here to preserve our ability to choose. Therefore, it seems rational and very reasonable that God, who cares so much about our agency, has provided evidence that can either prove or disprove his existence and the truthfulness of his church. Terrell Givens, uh, who is a well-known writer, scholar, and defender of the faith, he put it much more eloquently when he said, and bear with me, he uses big words, Quote, "There must be grounds for doubt as well as belief in order to render the choice more truly a choice and therefore more deliberate and laden with more personal vulnerability and investment. An overwhelming preponderance of evidence on either side would make our choice as meaningless as what a loaded gun pointed at our heads. The option to believe must appear on one's personal horizon like the fruit of paradise, perched precariously between sets of demands held in dynamic tension." Fortunately, in this world, one always is provided with sufficient materials out of which to fashion a life of credible conviction or dismissive denial. He goes on to say, what we choose to embrace, to be responsive to, is the purest reflection of who we are and what we love, end of quote. That comes from an essay he wrote some time ago titled Letter to a Doubter. I highly recommend reading it in its entirety. You might want to read it with a dictionary though. So what evidence are we choosing to accept or reject? Where we choose to focus our time and attention and what sources we routinely look to for truth will inevitably shape our views on things, both spiritual and temporal. I recently became aware that there is a growing number of people who believe in a flat earth. Fascinated, I watched a bit of a documentary about this and found that these weren't all high school dropouts living in their mom's basements. Many of these people were educated, had apparently successful careers, and appeared to be quote unquote normal, and yet they rejected the evidence that supports a round earth view and have found in their minds evidence to support the belief of a flat earth. Now, I'm not going to discuss the merits of either belief. I just use this to illustrate a point. No amount of evidence or supposed knowledge of a subject can necessarily induce people to believe one way or the other. They ultimately have to choose to embrace certain evidence or reject other evidence. Now, don't misunderstand. Truth is truth, regardless of whether people choose to believe it. But just as Terrell Given said, what we choose to embrace, to be responsive to, is the purest reflection of what we love and, may I add, what we ultimately want. So again, What are we looking for? Paul said, the things of God knoweth no man, except he has the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. In my experience, if we are looking for God, if we are seeking to obey him and striving to have His spirit with us, we will learn to see his hand in our lives. We will learn to recognize his tender mercies. The opposite is also true. If we immerse ourselves in the ways of the world and the philosophies of men, we'll miss the mark. We will miss the evidence that testifies of him and his plan. Now, I recognize that being a member of the church isn't always rainbows and butterflies. Not going to lie, I kind of dread wrangling my kids for two hours at state conference. And I may or may not have audibly rejoiced when I heard the church was leaving the Boy Scouts. On a more serious note, however, life is hard it's messy. And more often than not, our circumstances and choices are not clearly black and white. And trying to live the gospel standards in a very gray world and do all that's asked of us can feel overwhelming. It can feel daunting. Fatigued as I may feel sometimes, though, I've experienced too often the peace, the grand perspective, and the power that comes to me as I work to build the kingdom and keep my covenants. And for me, The fruits of living the gospel are evident, and they are sweet. Sure, sometimes it sounds tempting to stop rowing for a while, and yet I know, just like if I were to stop exercising or eating well, that I'd become spiritually weak and less able to cope with the challenges of of mortality. Life is hard regardless, but when I yoke myself with Christ, and it's in this church and its teachings that I have found him, He makes my burdens lighter. I'll choose his yoke over the millstone of the world any day. That's why I'm still rowing and choosing faith in the restored church of Jesus Christ. So to end, I hope you will consider the question, what anchors me in the boat? Why am I still rowing? Look today for the evidence of God's hand in your life. Write it down. If you or your loved one is grappling with hard questions, with messy circumstances, hold on don't jump ship. And as we stay in the boat, the captain will get us where we ultimately want to be. Because with God, all things really are possible. Even purifying and eventually exalting incredibly imperfect people like you and me. And there's joy to be had on the journey. So until next time, keep on friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Still Rowing Podcast. The views expressed here are not necessarily the views of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor is this podcast affiliated with the church. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to receive updates on future episodes. You can submit comments or questions at stillrowing.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening.